Transmitting from the lovely little city of Taylor, Texas, you are listening to Plow and Hose, a show dedicated to the joys and challenges of organic backyard gardening in Central Texas. I am your host, Julie Rydell. Welcome to the show. Well, hi there, garden people. Thank you for joining me in my backyard today. Here it is already the end of March in Central Texas. And even though this past week has been a little overcast and a little bit rainy in Taylor, springtime in Texas is still the best time of the year. At least I think so. I just love it. I love the mild weather. I love all the plants and the trees coming back to life. And of course, I love all the Texas spring wildflowers. Now, I live and work in town, and I really don't go anywhere during the week. Um, I usually don't venture too far off from my usual weekday route um, going to and from work, but I happen to need to go somewhere on the other side of town this week, and I was really kind of surprised and delighted to see the first of the spring wildflowers finally popping up along the roadside. The bright orange paintbrushes have started coming up, and it won't be long before we start seeing lots of wonderful blue bonnets here in Taylor and all over Central Texas. Now, you know, with that big, crazy winter storm and freeze that we had back in February, you know, that really took a toll on all of our plants. The snow and the ice and the temperatures did a whole bunch of damage to the landscaping. And the things that didn't just outright die, um, they are slowly but surely coming back to life. At least I hope most of them are. I've got some I'm still still wondering if they're going to come back or not. But anyway, in a normal year with normal temperatures, we usually start seeing blue bonnets and wildflowers by mid-March. And sometimes we'll even see them earlier if the winter was warm and mild. But with the stress from the winter storm, We just got to be patient with all of our plants and flowers as they recover and rebound. I was looking through my phone the other day looking for wildflower pictures and, you know, sure enough, um, we had lots of lovely full blooming blue bonnets um, in late March during the regular years. But, you know, this year hasn't exactly started off very normal. So I think that if we continue to be patient and... Um, give Mother Nature some time that we will be rewarded with lots of really great blue bonnets and wildflowers this spring. Native plants like our wildflowers, they actually can handle the extreme temperatures, both hot and cold. And that thick um, thick blanket of snow that we got actually acted like a great layer of insulation. And it actually protected um, the foliage from the extreme freeze damage. If we hadn't gotten that snow, we would probably have lost a lot of the wildflowers that had just started popping up um, over the winter. But because they were covered in snow for a whole week, they were protected from the worst of the cold. Luckily, that snow provided some extra moisture too, and, and that could actually bring a better wildflower display this year because even though it was winter, 
Central Texas was starting off the year um, in drought conditions. So even though the wildflowers are late this year, they could actually be pretty spectacular. So let's keep our fingers crossed that by mid-April or so, we have a really great wildflower bloom. I do love blue bonnets. They have such an amazing color and it's really not just the crazy intense blue that I love. Blue bonnets also have a bit of the most beautiful red violet in them too. If you get up close to them, you'll see a gorgeous wine color that's kind of in the center of each blue blossom. To me, that sapphire blue with just a bit of red violet makes them even more vibrant and really, really cool and interesting. Even though we get tons and tons of blue bonnets every year, blue flowers are actually really uncommon. Um, it's something like less than 10% of all the flowers in the world are blue. Blue bonnets get their vibrant color from a pigment called anthocyanin. Red, purple, and blue flowers all contain anthocyanin. And anthocyanin is the pigment in um, leaves that turn red in the fall. The pigment chemistry is really, really complex, but basically for flowers with anthocyanin to appear blue instead of red or purple, there have to be some molecules um, present to form a copigment that changes um, the color. This copigment is formed through changes um, in pH and they become more alkaline. Texas blue bonnets are pretty spectacular, especially in mass quantities, but they are also pretty cool and interesting too. Blue bonnets are native to Texas, and back in 1901, the state adopted it as the state flower. You know, according to the internet, when the state legislature was trying to decide which plant to pick for the state flower, it wasn't an easy win for the blue bonnet. There was actually some hot and heated debate. You know, some folks were pushing really hard for the cotton flower to be the state flower. And then there was another group, they were lobbying hard for the cactus flower. I, you know, I don't know what was going on in 1901, you know, but it sounds like it was probably a slow year in Texas government. You know, maybe there was lots of rather argumentative legislatures, uh, legislators that year. I don't know, but it just seems like blue bonnets would be the slam dunk and obvious choice for the state flower. But, you know, apparently there was a lot of debate on what the state flower should be. Meanwhile, here I am 120 years later, and I'm thinking, yeah, duh, of course blue bonnets need to be the state flower, but I don't know. And no wonder people hate the government. Anyway, blue bonnets are legumes. They are related to beans and peas and even mimosa trees. Like all legumes, they help improve the soil because they are nitrogen fixers. Legumes work with the soil bacteria and convert nitrogen, nitrogen gas into a form of nitrogen that the plants can use. 
This is great because nitrogen is a key plant nutrient that is responsible for keeping leaves healthy and green. Most of our Texas spring wildflowers, like blue bonnets, are annuals. Annuals grow, flower, set, seed, all in one season. Annuals don't come back year after year. They spend all of their energy growing, blooming, and making seeds. Once they form seeds, they slow down on the blooming, and then they drop their seeds, and then they die. Those seeds will make brand new plants the next year. And if you let them go, they just keep repeating that cycle year after year. If you planted bluebonnet seeds last fall and you want to keep it going and you and have a well-established bluebonnet or wildflower patch in your um, yard at home, you just have to be okay with allowing wildflowers to grow until they set seed, dry up, and die. It's really not the prettiest part of having a wildflower patch, but if you want your patch to reseed and naturalize, you just have to let the seed pods mature before you mow them over or you pull them up. When the seed pods are dry, you can leave them um, on the plants or you could collect some to save for next year or to share with other people. If you leave them on the plants, they're gonna eventually split open and the seeds will fall out on their own. You don't, you don't have to really let them reseed, but you're not going to get new plants. You can always pull up the plants when they get ugly and then plan on redoing your patch every fall and just start over with new seeds. Like I mentioned at the beginning of the show, the orange paintbrushes were the first wildflowers that I noticed coming up here in town um, this spring. Now, I love blue bonnets, but man, I sure love those orange paintbrushes. They are just so bright and flashy and they really catch my eye honestly I'm really like that with um with a color orange I love orange I could be content with an entire garden of nothing but orange flowers and I also love the color combination of bright orange and bright blue so blue bonnets and paintbrushes blooming at the same time is just awesome not only is the paintbrush blue bonnet combo visually interesting but it's also botanically interesting and you know as I'm sure that you remember from um, school most plants are self-sufficient they use photosynthesis to make all the food that they need but the paintbrush is a semi-parasitic plant and it only makes a portion of its own food so instead of being independent and self-sufficient in creating their own food, paintbrushes will spread their roots into the soil until they touch the roots of other plants like blue bonnets. When paintbrush roots, um, they will then actually penetrate the roots of the host plant and then they start siphoning off some of the food from the host. They're kind of freeloaders such jerk plants they just show up and then they start taking nutrients from other plants and then they don't really give back anything to the host it doesn't you know they don't really rob the plants of nutrients enough to harm or kill them but they're really kind of jerks but they are pretty so they have that going for them um paintbrushes are members of 
the dragon snap family. The really colorful part of the paintbrush aren't actually the flowers. The bright orange parts are bracts, not flower petals. Bracts are leaf-like structures that surround the flowers. Paintbrush flowers um, are actually inconspicuous. They have white and kind of pale green petals that are surrounded by those beautiful orange bracts. Plants like paintbrushes, poinsettias, bougainvillea, those evolved and developed bracts as a way to attract pollinators to those small little flowers. Now you won't be able to find orange paintbrush plants for sale at nurseries. They really don't tolerate being transplanted. So if you are wanting to add paintbrushes to your landscape, you can try to plant them from seed. Everything that I read, it sounds like they're um, pretty difficult to cultivate and something like 40, only 40% 40 of the seeds um, are actually gonna germinate. But once they get established, they will be pretty spectacular in your landscape. Spiderwort is another great spring flower that is starting to pop up here in Central Texas. Now, in my head, I consider it an old-fashioned type of flower. I probably think this because it's quite common in the older neighborhoods around Taylor. It has an unusual growing habit. It grows in a clump. It has like these grassy looking leaves and the flower stems are tall and they're kind of a bit bulky in proportion to the delicate little flowers. Uh, spiderwort gets to be about 18 to 24 inches tall. It does really well in full sun, but it does prefer a little of the afternoon shade. Spiderwort flowers can be white, pink, purple, or my favorite, bright blue. They are very prolific bloomers all through the spring and then they finally give it up when it gets too hot. They are simple sweet little flowers that have three petals and then they have six yellow anthers in the center. Spiderwort blooms um, early in the morning. During the afternoon the flowers usually close up in the heat but on cool and cloudy days they may remain open all day. Each flower only lasts one day but each spiderwort has many flowers. They are tough little plants and they grow well in most soil types both in our rich clay soil over here on this side of I-35 but they also do well in rocky um, soil types like on the other s on the western side of I-35 but they do really well in our black clay soil that we have um, here in our part of Central Texas in eastern Williamson County. Spiderwort is really easy to propagate from root divisions and stem cuttings but it will also self-seed so if you plant it in your um, flower bed all those little seeds can um, can drop and they can actually grow outside of your flower bed. You are listening to Plow and Hose on KBSR Black Sparrow Radio. If you are enjoying my show, I hope you will go over to www.blacksparrowmusicparlor.com and check out the station and learn about all the great shows and music all coming out of our station broadcasting from Taylor, Texas. 
While you are out on the internet, be sure to stop by the Plow and Host Facebook page and like and share it with your gardening friends. Or, you know, head over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the Plow and Hose podcast. If you like the flexibility of being able to play and pause and rewind my show whenever you want, help me out by downloading some episodes and, you know, maybe even leave a review. It only takes a few seconds to click on those stars. Not only does this make me feel good, um, but it's also going to help others find Plow and Hose. And it lets folks know that it's a show worth giving a listen. All right. Pretty soon we are going to start seeing lots and lots of wildflowers pop up all over town and on the roadsides. I love when people mow around spring wildflowers. It just makes me smile when I see a freshly cut lawn with shaggy patches of wildflowers. And I'm probably completely wrong or delusional or something, but whenever I see that, I think, huh, I bet you some really nice people live there. (laughs) Anyway, um, I'm also looking forward to the pink evening primroses um, to start coming up. They usually um, have a good show right as the blue bonnets are starting to fade. Evening primroses are those pink, um, pale pink flowers that are kind of cup-shaped. They get to be only about a foot tall, so they're pretty low to the ground. Um, The flowers are just sweet and delicate. They have like a crepe paper texture, and they have a lovely lemon yellow center that is just loaded with pollen and the native bees really love it um pink evening primrose is also really popular with small birds who like to eat their seeds i like this plant a whole lot and i wish i had them in my yard and you know someday i really ought to get some seeds and just cast them out into my my lawn sometime um, you know, like when I'm shopping for seeds, you know, my, my problem is, is that I always get distracted by the brightly colored flowers and then I forget about these, um, nice delicate pale pink flowers. Anyway, blue bonnets are always a favorite for family pictures in the flowers, but if you see a nice patch of pink evening primroses or some other wildflower, you know, try, try it out. Um, one of my favorite pictures um, is of my second daughter, and it was taken in a patch of pink primroses. You know, at the time, she was about two, and the blue bonnets were really disappointing and um, underwhelming that year. But I happened to drive by an empty lot that was just full of those sweet pink flowers. So I was like, why not? Let's just stop. So we got out and snapped a few quick pictures and ended up with a really special one of her in those pink primroses. Now, you don't have to have a big fancy camera to get really great pictures in the flowers. Cell phones these days have awesome cameras now, and just with a few tricks, you can get some really nice pictures. Try to take your pictures either early in the day or late in the day when the sun is low in the sky. For the best natural lighting, you wanna get out and take your pictures either 30 minutes before 
or 30 minutes after sunrise or about 30 minutes before sunset. This is going to give you the best natural light. Taking pictures in the middle of the day, um, it won't really yield the best results because the sun is going to uh, cast some really harsh shadows. If you take pictures um, when it's kind of overcast, or, uh, not overcast, but um, when there are a few clouds in the sky, your family is not going to be squinting. So try to find um, a day when it's not super, super sunny. When you do find a nice patch of flowers, um, try to position your people so that the sun is either to the side or slightly behind them. Have them kneel or sit among the flowers and then either take your pictures from above or squat down so that you are at their eye level. Be sure to get some individual pictures of everyone too. That way, if you can't get a decent picture of everyone in your group, at least you'll have pictures of everyone that you can display together. If you're planning to take some uh, photos out on the side of the road, you know, just be mindful of traffic and be sure that you're not trespassing onto private property. You also want to be on the lookout for snakes and anthills. I personally have never encountered a snake while out in the blue bonnets, but that doesn't mean that they aren't there. On the other hand, I have stepped in a fire ant mound while out in the wildflowers, and I promise you, that was a, a terrible <laughs> experience, and I definitely do not recommend getting ant bites all over your legs and feet in the middle of the country where you're at least an hour away from your house. Springtime in Texas is wildflower season, but along with all the wonderful native beauties like blue bonnets and paintbrush and coneflowers and horse mint and all the others, unfortunately, it's also bastard cabbage season. That's right. I said it, bastard cabbage. Now I'm not talking about Brussels sprouts. This is a completely different plant. Bastard cabbage is a relatively new plant to Central Texas, and it's freaking taken over. Bastard cabbage is a member of the brassica family, so it's related to you know regular cabbage, broccoli, mustard greens, cauliflower, all this. And you've actually probably seen it on the side of the road because it's all over the place. Um, it's that weedy looking plant that sends up sulfur yellow flowers on really thin stems. If you get up close to one, the flowers resemble like broccoli flowers. Bastard cabbage is non-native non and it's an invasive species. No one is really sure how it got to Central Texas. Some folks speculate that it got into some grass seed mixes and then unintentionally got distributed all over the state. Once it got here, it decided that it really is a good place to be. I don't disagree, but Bastard Cabbage absolutely loves it here in Central Texas. It is so prolific. It sets seeds and it grows so easily here. And the problem with Bastard Cabbage is that it germinates early in the fall and it quickly covers the ground with a 
blanket of leafy rosettes. These dense rosettes completely block out sunlight to the seeds and seedlings of native plants, including all the native wildflowers that we love. Bastard cabbage gets pretty big. It can grow up to three feet tall. Our wildflowers don't get that tall. So the wildflowers that manage to germinate and grow and bloom can also be blocked out and obscured by bastard cabbage. So instead of seeing pretty blue bonnets, all we see are the stupid bastard cabbage. Not only is bastard cabbage invasive and takes over, it's also pretty useless. Being part of the cabbage and broccoli family, it is technically edible, but so is lawn grass. And just like grass, nobody wants to eat bastard cabbage. You know, a few years ago when I learned that it was actually um, safe to eat, um, you know, I was all willing to give it a try. And one afternoon I went and picked a, um, a whole bunch, you know, just enough to fill like a small pot. I tried to cook it down like I would greens, mustard greens, kale, um, but even the little young leaves were tough and fibrous. Bastard cabbage leaves also have a bit of prickly fuzz, and even though the fuzz kind of cooks off the leaves, it sinks to the bottom of the pot and leaves sediment in the pot liquor. So even if you cook them in a pot with some ham hock or bacon, all that normally delicious green liquid that is in, in the pot that we sop up with cornbread, it's just ruined by that sediment. So between overtaking the wildflowers and spreading all over central Texas, in my opinion, bastard cabbage has earned its name. Well, now that we are in late March and almost into April, temperatures are going to slowly and steadily increase. With the warmer temperatures, we can plant a whole bunch of things in our vegetable gardens. We can plant green beans. We can still plant beets. We can start cucumbers and cantaloupe and corn. We can plant pumpkins right now. We can squeeze in some more radishes before it gets too hot. And then we can also do squash and even watermelon all from seed. It's a super great time to um, put out transplants too. So if you have eggplant, tomato, and peppers, get those in. And of course, it's a great time of the year to transplant any veg veggies that you find at the nurseries. You know, get to know your local nursery. If you are looking for something in particular, find out when they expect deliveries and be sure to go and buy your plants as soon as you can after they get their deliveries. You're, you're going to get the best selection and you'll get your choice of the best looking plants, all while supporting local independent business. This past week, I started um, some squash and cucumbers, and those are already starting to pop up. I have a whole bunch of baby tomato and peppers that I started from seed um, quite a while ago, and I need to get those um, planted in my garden. I'm a little behind, but what's new?
Anyway, a couple of weeks ago, I checked on my pepper seedlings. I'd moved them from um, inside to outside to help them gradually get acclimated to the outside and, you know, start to harden off. I had a whole lot of success this year, and I have a ton of pepper seedlings. I put them in one of those big multi-cell seed starting trays, and I was so proud of myself um, because I made labels for all of my plants. I made little labels and carefully um, covered them with clear tape so um, they would be waterproof and I would know exactly which plants were which. I slowly moved my pepper plants out into the sun so they could get adjusted to the natural light and I'm really happy with how things are growing. Um, you know, this year I have five different varieties um, of peppers and I'm really excited to try some new peppers. But even though I covered my labels with clear tape to seal out the water, what I didn't anticipate happening was the sun fading all the lettering. So now I have a jillion pepper seedlings and I have no idea which ones are which because I can't read the labels at all. I might as well have just taken all the seed packets and mixed the seeds together and then planted them because I seriously have no idea what they are right now. I have so many extra plants that I was planning on giving away to people, but I can't tell them what kind of peppers they're gonna be. Um, you know, some of them may be hot, some of them may be sweet. I'm not going to know. I'm just going to have to play pepper roulette when they start putting on their fruit, and maybe I'll figure it out then. I don't know. I swear, I have the most ridiculous problems sometimes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you all for joining me today in the backyard. I hope everyone has a fantastic and productive week out in your garden. Production assistance provided by KBSR, Black Sparrow Radio. Original music created by Alex Cuervo. Discover more of his music at alexcuervo.tv. If you love plants and gardening in Central Texas, be sure to click the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts and never miss seasonal information on Plow and Hose. Plow and Hose is written and recorded at my home in Taylor, Texas.